Okay, so where we are, uh, we are in a six-part study uh, that uh, I need to kind of recap a little bit. Uh, and it's living a godly life in an ungodly world. Uh, last week we talked about pursuing godliness. This week we'll talk about depending on God. And we'll hear a really incredible story of someone depending on God. Um, before we dive into the actual scripture and, uh, and the, uh, the Bible reading, uh, today, we want to we just understand the point, and that is that God is greater than any challenge that we can face. And I have a question for you, maybe it'll warm up the crowd a little bit. Uh, so what's the most dependable thing you've ever owned? It was now, our, wash, our washer and dryer till recently. <laughs> we had it for almost 20 years. Yep. Wow. And then it got... So when you turn the dial, it's a ch-ch-ch-ch. Yes. Yeah, one of those. All right. And at all times, it forgot to turn off, so water just kept running and running all over the floor. But yeah, almost 20 years. 20 years. Well, they, but I like to cry when they took it away. Like it was, you know, it was important. We had it for so long. Was it a pretty avocado color? No, it was white. Okay. Well, well, just know, they don't make 20-year appliances. No, they don't. No, they don't. Quinn works at Toyota, yeah. right? I mean, I hear a lot of people say that Toyota's their most reliable thing. I would have to say we've been a Toyota family for a while for a that lot of reason. Heads they're not. just very reliable. Yeah, it's, it's I like mine. I'm American and my force don't fail me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving an 01 F-150. So they're holding out for me. in my driveway. All right. Uh, any others? Like most dependable thing? My pet rock's still working great. <laughs> <laughs> still behaving just as he should. I had a throwaway ink pen from like Northwestern State University that I don't know how long it had been around before I got it that I kept and used in my checkbook for 11 years. Yeah. You had the same pen for 11 years? <laughs> it finally ran out it of ran ink. ran out of ink a few years finally. ago. I can't keep the same pen for I two days. I was so night. proud of that. Yeah, I'm amazed that you kept up with the pen. Yeah, that's well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he always put it back in his checkbook because if it wasn't there. It was the checkbook pen. That's still impressive. <laughs> very, very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, the, the point uh, today is really to get us into a spirit and a mindset to understand that, that God is dependable. He's more dependable than the most dependable things uh, that, that we all have uh, because all of them eventually wear out except for Tracy's pet rock. Uh, that, that will be here uh, probably through the apocalypse. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, but everything else, even those lovely Toyotas, they're eventually going to wear out, and uh, based on their loyalty scores, you'll probably buy another one. Um, that's how that works. But we have one God, he's dependable, and he's always for us, as Joe reminded us uh, today. Um, so one of the things that the book wants us to remember today is it's great to have the right tools when you need them, uh, those things that you can always rely on to get the job done. Uh, but what if the job is just to get through life? What can you rely on when you face a challenging decision or when everything seems to be going against you? And here are, some, here are some things for you to be reminded of. Some people rely on horoscope or fortune telling to guide them in dealing with their everyday struggles. Uh, did you know that there are five fortune tellers within 45 minutes of this spot? I didn't know that. I knew there was one on 59, but there are five within 45 minutes of here. This is a fairly small community. We have five fortune tellers. 45 minutes. Some people rely on alcohol and drugs as a way to cope with their challenges. Uh, within 45 minutes of here, there are 26 liquor stores. 
That's just in Baldwin County, and that's just the hard stuff. Uh, there are over 100 that also sell beer and wine, and that's not counting restaurants and bars. Um, you know, in 2016, Americans spent $446 billion on drugs, pharmaceutical drugs. We consumed one half of the global production of pharmaceuticals in the United States. So there's 330 million people in the United States. There's pushing 7 billion globally. Someone can do the math there, get the, get the fraction. It's small, but we consume half the drugs. <clears throat> Pretty crazy. Some people just look in the mirror and say, I can handle it myself. Um, the self-help book industry in the United States is $11 billion, and that was in 2008. And they say it grows about 10% per year, so by now it's $15 billion. Um, 40 million people diagnosed with anxiety in the United States, 15 million with depression, 8 million with PTSD. Uh, that's, that's a pretty significant number. I want to read you an article from Inc. Magazine. Inc. Magazine, decidedly uh, secular, uh, but this, this was uh, something it says. Most Americans are unhappy. Despite the abundance of material wealth, the idealism of democratic values, and their flashy new iPhone, most people are suffering. And the brutal truth is that several industries, including the self-help industry, are profiting off of the emotional pain of people seeking quick fixes. See, part of being American isn't just getting ill from living in a superficial society that values materialism, consumerism, and working way too many hours each week. It's trying to buy your happiness one book or one pill at a time. People are brainwashed into thinking that reading self-help books or taking medication can evaporate their problems and help them find happiness they so badly desire. That from a secular magazine. Uh, Inc.com. Inc. Post it on Facebook. Yeah, Inc. has a magazine as well, really focused on small business. It's actually a pretty good little magazine, but that was a surprising read. Oh, pretty sad. And then some people just let chance make their decisions. They gamble by flipping a coin uh, while ignoring the words on that coin that say, in God we trust. In 2016, Americans spent $117 billion on gambling. And that's just the, the part that we know about. They think there's another illegal gambling side uh, that's equally as large. So pushing $300 billion that we're losing on gambling. And the gambling industry grows at 10% per year also. Kind of scary. Uh, so instead of Houston, we have a problem. I think we should say heaven. We have a problem. Uh, so we're going to read a story today where King Asa, who we learned about last week, we got introduced to last week, uh, he has come to the end of this 10-year period of peace. Uh, and something's knocking on his door. And uh, something extraordinary is going to happen. Uh, but this kingdom of Judah has enjoyed a period of peace under King Asa. Um, he had instituted a series of religious reforms. If you remember, he just took the job. He took down all of the pillars, all of the idols to false gods. He cleaned up mountaintops, scraped them off, uh, removed places to even adorn uh, other gods. Uh, he removed all forms of paganism that polluted the nation's uh, spiritual environment. He restored the worship of the one true God. He also fortified his city's defenses uh, and organized a fighting force during this period of peace. Uh, however, their period of tranquility was eventually broken, and a new enemy is literally knocking on their door uh, today. 
And today we're in 2 Chronicles 14, 9 through 15. Alrighty, let's read the first passage together. So 2 Chronicles 14, verses 9 and 10. Can someone read that for us, please? Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots and came as far as Mereshah. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephatha near Mereshah. So interesting, right? We just talked about Asa building up the cities and fortifying them, but an army's coming against them, and he goes out to meet them. Why didn't he just stay home? Why didn't he just stay inside these fortified cities? It would have been really far easier, right, for them to just stay within their fortified city. Why go out and meet the enemy? I have a feeling God may be leading <laughs> out to meet the enemy. Uh, and then we have to remember that uh, that's not how battles are won. We don't, we don't win battles by hiding at home, locking the door. I had this conversation with my daughter the other day. I just happened to uh, have one of those fatherly moments where I'm like, I need to check in on my 14-year-old kid. I haven't seen her in a while. And the door was closed. And what I found is I went in there, she was upset about something. And I wrote, wrote in my heart and in my book, I said, we should never cry alone, right? We should just, that's, that's not how we win these battles of life. You don't deal with that by yourself because we start believing all of those lies, <laughs> some of which Joe was talking about this morning in, in, uh, in worship. If you weren't in the first service and you go to the second service, get ready. It's a pretty, pretty powerful one. Um, so they could have stayed in their fortified city, but they actually leave their fortified city. Do we remember last week uh, how many fighting men and women, mainly men, uh, that, uh, that Asa has? Remember, he had a troop of his own, a couple hundred thousand, and then he had a couple hundred thousand from where? Tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, right? That's kind of in the middle. So they're a pretty good-sized army. Uh, but when we hear about these Cushites, they're thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots. The, the point here is it's, it's a bigger army. Uh, and then, does anybody know who the Cushites are? There's some debate on who they are and how far they came and, and all of that. Uh, some claim that they're Ethiopians and not modern-day Ethiopia. That's further southeast of what these Ethiopians would be. Uh, but south of Egypt is one thought. Uh, and they've come quite a long way. They've come all the way through uh, Egypt to, uh, to get into Israel. And they make about halfway through uh, the tribe of Judah. That's where we're describing in the story today. They're about halfway to Jerusalem uh, there. Uh, other, others believe that they're uh, Bedouin people that are kind of a uh, kind of like pirates. They're, they're plunderers and takers because there are other stories of Cushites and they never really like stay in claim territory. They just kind of plunder and then they go home. Right? So it feels very Pirates of the Caribbean kind of, you know, let's go in, ransack this stuff, we take all their stuff and we leave. Uh, regardless of who they are, uh, Asa and his armies are obviously uh, worried about it. So let's flip over and, uh, and hear what happens next. So 2 Chronicles 14, 11. Will somebody read that for us, please? Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Yeah, so we may not be going into a battle like the same that Asa was facing, but we do, we do see something very interesting in his approach. 
Uh, do you think that he's calling out to God out of desperation? Could be a little bit, right? He could look out there and see this vast army. This, uh, this place where they're at, they're actually on opposing mountaintops, and there's a valley between them. And a lot of battles are fought that way uh, in, in this particular time period. You, you try and get some high country, and it's, it's common for these armies. It's almost like you're filming a movie, and they want to see each other. They want to see what you got. And the really tactful people, they would leave some of what they got, you know, over the crest of the hill. You know, so, you, oh, we can take them. And then when they come over the hill into the valley, you know. So they're looking across these mountaintops at each other. So he may have a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of fear, maybe. Um, but what we've seen here is a pattern of life, that this isn't the first time he's prayed about this. This, this is a guy that's calling on, on God. Uh, and he understands something about God, and that is that God cares. He actually is, is right there with them. Uh, and he has a pretty good idea that he's not going to have to fight this battle. There's a real good shot. If this, if this works out, right, uh, I, I think we've got, we found somebody here that has a character and a, and a, and a uh, path of life where he's constantly going to God, uh, and, uh, and he, he you know, goes there again. Uh, I like some of the words that he chooses uh, in the pattern of his prayer. Uh, first, he actually describes God um, and the way he sees him, and that is, Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Uh, again, he's establishing his position. He feels like he's the powerless in this particular situation. Um, even the terms he's using for Lord, uh, Asa was uh, really famous for restoring the word Yahweh, or Lord, back into their worship. Um, he was basically saying that we rely on you for everything, uh, you are the Lord our God. Uh, and it says, we've come against this army in your name. Again, that's where I'm thinking God's telling him, leave these fortified cities, go out and, and present yourself in front of these people. Uh, and then he says, Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> coming, coming out of the mouth of a mere mortal, uh, asking God to, uh, to rout these other mortals that he's facing. Um, so we're not facing war uh, or a battle like Asa was facing, but we are facing challenging struggles every day of our lives. Many of those challenges confront us with the odds that are not in our favor. Many of those battles and challenges look like impossibilities for us to overcome. Many of us would rather justify uh, and staying within our own walls and pretend like the battles are not even there. In those moments, we need to follow Asa's example and cry out to God who specializes in the impossible. And maybe just a chance for a little bit of testimony. Anybody faced anything impossible? Seen God come through? Miracle in your life? Something you'd be willing to share? <coughs> Something that seemed impossible by worldly standards? We'll share. Julia? Um, and I may have shared this before, so sorry. Even old stories can be <laughs> do again, because we may not remember. Uh, this is from quite a while back. We were not living here. We were in Indiana, but... Um, Ross was three, four years old, we were not able to go to church together. Um, he was not able to be in the nursery. It, it was a bad situation trying to have Ross in the nursery. And it was a bad situation trying to bring him into worship with us. At that point in his life, he had no tolerance for it at all. And so we were taking turns going to church. One of us would stay home with him every Sunday, and the other one would go. 
And about that time, Tanner was born too, and I was just very um, upset and, and thinking, you know, I don't want Tanner to have to learn that church is a place for mom and dad and me, but not Ross. I had never heard of a special needs ministry. I didn't know such a thing even existed. Didn't, you know, and just started to pray out of desperation. Um, God, it seems like being in church together is something you would want. <laughs> it seems like that's something you would think is a good idea. So please, if there's some way that you could make this happen. Um, and so I began to just pray that every day, that God would make a way for our family to go to church together. And not two weeks after I started praying that prayer, I was introduced to somebody who invited me to another church that was starting a special needs ministry. I said, what is a special needs ministry? I had never even, even heard of such a thing. But um, we went, and it was amazing. Those people took Ross, took wonderful care of him, and thanked me for the opportunity to do it. Wow. And, and welcomed us in a way that we had never seen. We ended up moving to that church and stayed there for more than 12 years until we moved here, and they were our family. They walked us through um, everything. But it was just an amazing thing that this is something I had agonized over for years, and two weeks after I started to pray for it, it yeah. happened. Pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. I had not heard that story before, so thanks for sharing it. And if you heard it, you, yeah, you benefited from hearing it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Did they get it twice on two days? Because you were talking about it last time. I did. That's yeah. why, yeah. Sorry, yeah. you had to hear it twice. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's a great story. I love it. Are there others? So, we, we serve the same God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <coughs> and he's still doing the things that he's going to do for Asa that he did for, for Julie and Scott. Um, did, he, did he do something for you or someone you know? You guys ever had, like, so I grew up in a kind of an old country church. You ever heard of a prayer chain? Mm -hmm. So the prayer chain is where you might get a phone call, and the phone call, you answer it, and it's the prayer chain people, and they tell you who we're praying about, and then you not only pray for the person, but then you you're call the next person on the list, and that's how you get to everybody. Um, so that's, you can, you can get that at 3 in the morning, you can get it at 8 in the afternoon, or whatever. Uh, that's how it works. Uh, any of you ever seen the prayer chain in action? Ever been part of one? Ever been on one? No? Yes? Yeah. A few heads? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was an eight-year-old kid, and uh, I had this weird skin disorder, um, and it was embarrassing. Uh, basically, on all of my cuticles, on both hands, I had warts. They just showed up one day, and I don't know if it was something I was doing as an eight-year-old kid. I liked snakes and frogs and toads and who knows what else. Um, dirt and uh, so I spent the next couple of years uh, going to doctors uh, and getting them frozen off burnt off medicine whatever you could and they just keep coming back uh, and it was in every finger every hand uh, and my mom would always my mom was a big prayer chain believer uh, and uh, used it frequently and she said well we should we should ask the prayer chain to pray for you I'm like no because that's embarrassing you know it's a silly it's just a skin thing it's not that big a deal and she was like, well, you don't understand. We're broke, and every time we go that, to the doctor, that costs us money. You know, like it's 50 bucks a time, and it's not working. You don't understand. We have to do something. Well, my mom put me on the prayer chain. Um, not, not great for uh, your popularity uh, in your church, small church to begin with. I spent most of my time with my hands in my pockets or hiding them anyway. 
Uh, now you really had to because everybody's like, oh, there's the dwarf with the warty hands. <laughs> well, the good news is uh, I woke up one day uh, just a couple of weeks later and they were just gone. Wow. And nobody knows what happened to them. Uh, the doctor just like, well, <laughs> guess you got a miracle, right? I didn't give you any medicine. You're not on anything. Uh, they don't just disappear, but they're gone. So it was one of those things where it seemed simple and small, um, but it was a pretty big deal. Any others? Pretty cool stuff. All right. Uh, so what, what principles of prayer can we learn from Asa's example? We talked through a little bit. Um, did you pick out anything in those verses? What, what can we pull out of there? What are some of the principles that we can apply to our own prayer life? So one, one of the things we want to make sure we kind of dispel some of the false things, too, that are out there. Um, is there any penalty for waiting until the moment to pray? Is there any embarrassment? Is there any guilt in, in sort of praying at the last second? <clears throat> you ever felt that? Where you felt some burden of guilt of, God, I've been ignoring you this whole time, but now I'm, now I'm really in crunch time? Is that wrong? That's the only time he can reach us. Yeah. So God's available to us 24-7, right? Um, and whatever point at which he gets our attention is the point at which he gets our attention, right? It could be right at the, the moment here. Um, I think he's had Ace's attention for a very long time and on a, on a regular basis. Uh, but even if he didn't, Right, and Asa gets to that mountaintop and he looks across there and sees the challenge. Is it okay for him to pray then? Absolutely. Right? You may want to start the prayer with, God, sorry, it's been so long. You know, you may want to start with those attributes <laughs> of, Lord, there's no one like you, right? To help the powerless against the mighty. What are some other <laughs> principles that we see there? Yeah, I think it's. Interesting, and you see this over and over in scripture when David is praying psalms often. And but where he's saying, You know, you're our God, you know, and this mighty army has come against us, but he doesn't say they've come against us. Who does he say they've come against? Yeah. You. Yeah. So, therefore, whenever anything comes against us, if we're gods, it's not really coming against us, it's coming against God. And I forget that when I'm praying. To say, Lord, don't let this defeat you. I, I, you know, it just, he reminds me of that, and then I just forget it again, and the next thing comes along. Yeah. If you're being attacked by the evil one uh, today, uh, it's not because of your good looks or your abilities. They're it's attacking. because he's trying to get to God. They're attacking you. the God that resides within you, right? And, and that's something that Asa acknowledges. And I remind myself of that a lot when I'm irritated with somebody or if I'm in a conflict with somebody. And, you know, you can get caught up in and I always remind myself, you know, I don't have a battle with that person. This is just God trying to make, I mean, uh, Satan trying to make, you know, make this irritation or whatever. And so I can get that really quick when it's like between two people, but I forget about it when it's, when Satan's using some other thing to come against you, that it really, he's just trying to come against your father. That's right. I don't know why I forget that so often. Do the Cushites know God, the Lord, Yahweh? that Ace is leading, they do not. And that's why he makes the connection there. Uh, he says, these, these people, Lord, they've come out against you. 
right? They've come out against us because we follow you. Um, so let's turn to 2 Chronicles 14, 12 through 15, and this is where the story gets fun. Someone read 14, 12 through 15, please. So the Lord routed the Cushites before Asa and before Judah, and the Cushites fled. Then Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. The Cushites fell until they had no survivors, for they were crushed before the Lord and before his army. So the people of Judah carried off a great supply of loot. Then they attacked all the cities around Gerar, because the terror of the Lord was on them. They also plundered all the cities, since there was a great deal of plunder in them. They also attacked the tents of the herdsmen and captured many sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Now before we start feeling sorry for the Cushites about the, uh, the, the tribe of Judah here and, uh, or the nation of Judah and Asa and his men uh, routing and plundering, all the stuff they're routing and plundering uh, in Gerar, um, whose stuff is that? It's their. It's their stuff. <laughs> so this Cushite army or these Bedouins or whoever they are, uh, they are plunderers and they, they have encamped around the southern part of the Judah, of, of the kingdom of Judah. Um, their stuff back. And they've got everybody's stuff piled up there. So they're, they're not just tramping, you know, God just routes this army and then they go and they, they take all this stuff and it almost, you almost start to feel like, gosh, they're as bad as the, the people are, no, it's their stuff. <laughs> they're getting their stuff back. Um, so it says the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. I bet that was fun to watch. Remember, they're on opposing mountaintops. They're sizing each other up. Asa prays. We don't hear about this mass running into the valley and the clanking of spears and swords and chariots and men. I think Asa and the guys are standing here going. I mean, it says that God's routing this army. Uh, and then, they, then we see that Asa and his army pursue them as they're attempting to flee. And as Jackie read in her version, it uh, says that none survive. Uh, the version here in the book says such a great number of the Cushites fell that they could not recover and they were crushed before the Lord and his forces. Again, this idea that no, no one survives this. Um, but it also, we don't talk about any casualties on the side of Judah, um, right? There, there doesn't appear to be any, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is pretty awesome. Um, so the, uh, the historians think that this Cushite army was approximately twice the size uh, of what uh, Asa was working with. And we remember Asa was working with about 500,000 uh, men. So this could have been a million man army uh, that they were up against, uh, which is very uh, interesting. Um, so we, we've got, so obviously they're in crisis. We see God come out. God delivers them in a mighty way, in a, in a miraculous way. Um, what's the relationship between trusting in God and assuming some personal responsibility in a crisis. It appears here that the personal responsibility of Asa was to be a, a, a man of God, uh, to be well prepared, but then to, to pray and really just turn it over to, to God's hands. What, what's the rest of it? I mean, is there any other personal responsibility he had here? What are some of the things we learned about last week? What had he been doing in, in preparation? 
Can you believe in idols, right? What's that? Can you rid of idols and stuff? Yeah, he got rid of all the idols and stuff, and he fortified their cities. He also assembles an army, right? All during peacetime, right? So he's making a lot of preparations, it seems. Um, what if he had not made any of those preparations? What if he hadn't fortified the cities? What if he hadn't assembled an army? And these Cushites come out to meet him. What's the plan then? Well, God can still show up and crush the Cushites, right? We don't know. We don't know, right? We don't really know because there is this element of personal responsibility. He was walking with God and doing the things that God was telling him to do in preparation for this moment. Why does God have the army assembled on an opposing hilltop uh, and then God routes the army? Why, why are those 500,000 men there? They're not needed for the battle. Why are they there? What, what benef- how does it benefit God? How does it benefit anyone that these people march out and watch God crush this army? Because they're going to tell the story. They tell the story. <clears throat> What's the purpose of God crushing the Cushite army? Purpose one is to spare the kingdom of Judah, right, from being destroyed by the Cushites. What's, what's goal number two, or maybe these two are even inverted? To show his power. To show the glory of God to 500,000 people that watch it happen, right? So his primary purpose is that, you know, we would glorify him, right, that he would be receiving our glory, uh, and then he also happened to spare this kingdom. Uh, now this kingdom is living under, <coughs> under a particular interesting uh, set of, uh, of rules here or, or promises, right? He promised to protect this nation, right? Who are these kings a line of? Do you remember? David. David, right? He made some promises and he intends to keep them with these people. This, this will ultimately become the nation of Israel that, that survives all of these things. Uh, God's protecting his people, uh, which, which is very cool. Um, has God ever greatly blessed you through a crisis? He blessed these people, right? They route the army, and so they're safe, and they get all their stuff back. And probably more. They probably get some stuff from, know, collected from who knows where. Um, these are pagan people, the Cushites, right? They, they've been all over Egypt. They've been all over the area. Who knows what all they've got? So they, they get saved and they get a, a blessing. They get all their stuff back. Have you ever been blessed in a crisis? Here's, here's one that's kind of funny. Um, so uh, Grace had a bad car crash not that long ago. Totaled her car. Turns out she didn't like it that much anyway. She always wanted a Volkswagen. <laughs> so now she and she always wanted a blue car. So now she's got a blue Volkswagen. A blessing in a crisis, right? Does she want to have a car crash? No, but they were saved, and she got the blue Volkswagen. Right? How about you? How about something serious? Has God ever blessed you in the middle of a crisis? Um, got a text a couple of weeks ago from I think I've talked to you guys about Cody before. Yeah. His family got to meet the little girl who got his lungs and uh, got an amazing picture of her with a baseball cap on and a baseball cap.
baseball in her hand and a shirt that had, it didn't have Cody's name on it, but it had the day that he died and the day that she received her belongings. And that was just incredible. That's amazing. What's amazing about that is even just a few years ago, you can't even, couldn't even do a lung transplant, right? I mean, that's all fairly new technology. Very cool. Uh, one of the blessings that's come for us uh, in the middle of crisis is just being close to God and close to each other. And sometimes that's all you get uh, in, a, in a crisis. Sometimes there is no great victory that you get to watch and be awestruck by. Sometimes you don't get all of your stuff back, right? Sometimes you end up with uh, holding little other than the knowledge of that God loves you and that you're close to him and you're close to those that you love. Uh, anybody else? Testimony of that? I was say sometimes it's just a reminder. I mean, just like all my medical stuff the last year, you know, it started off with something, you know, and blew up into this big, could have been a big to-do. And I mean, it just put me in a place where I had to rely on prayer from other people and people just, you know, still, still people come to me, how, how are you, know, how are you? But I mean, people were so faithful to pray and, you know, and everything. You know, it's, you know, we're in a good spot. So, <laughs> you know, but I mean, it was just a reminder to, to get on your face, reach out to people, and they're faithful to pray for you. And it's just, you know, just a reminder that you don't have to do it by yourself. That's right. You know, so. That's right. And I think that's the blessing was. Sometimes know. it's knowing you're not alone. And uh, one of the questions here, it says, how has God used your group to help those around you during challenging times? And I think about some of the challenging circumstances that have happened in this class and how you guys have rallied uh, to take care of each other. That's pretty awesome stuff. Um, so the, the, uh, the book wants us to, to capture this truth, and that is while God gives the victory, uh, he still expects you to march into the battles with him by your side. Depend on God's strength and might as you face each challenge. And when God brings the victory, let others know about it. Share your victories. With your words and by your example, be an encouragement to others as they face their own challenges and battles. Is there anybody that's without challenge or battle? We look around, it sure seems like it sometimes. <coughs> but that's not true, right? We all have them. Um, so let's, let's finish up here today uh, with this. Um, we can face multiple challenges in a given week. If we're not careful, we'll try to carry the burden of those challenges on our own shoulders. It's good to be reminded that we have a God who will be there for us to see us through, and you have a class of people that are willing to, uh, to pray with you and also shoulder the load, uh, whether you need something like a refrigerator uh, or healing, right? We've, we've seen those things happening uh, in our midst. Um, any questions today or, or comments? I know we moved kind of fast, but we didn't have a lot of time to work with. EJ? Just real quick. Did you want to? Oh, yeah, I have these bracelets. It's, uh, I got a few of them, actually. Anybody wants to make a donation for Laura Anderson? Uh, she has uh, pancreatic cancer stage 4, so if anybody interested can just make a kind of donation. This is the family that's, that he's living with. Yeah. Okay. And so, so she was just told, what, two weeks ago? Oh, wow. Yeah. She spent like a week or two in the hospital. Wow. So. Well, if you didn't come prepared today uh, and you want one, let us know. He's we'll, got plenty. So we'll, get with, uh, next week too. we'll get with Quinn. Um, all right. Are there other, other questions, comments? All right. Uh, I'll pray and then we'll be dismissed.
Uh, Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, for Ezra or the Chronicler or whoever it is that wrote down this this story of Asa uh, and the uh, the kingdom of Judah going out to face uh, an army twice their size. And Lord, thank you for for showing up and for being there and for routing uh, the enemies, uh, your enemies. And Lord, we thank you that we know that you also stand in our corner. And Lord, we know that you walk with us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to, uh, to walk out into battle, uh, knowing that you're our God and proclaiming such as we go. And Lord, I pray that you would give us victory over the small things and the big things uh, this week and as we go forward. And Lord, be with, uh, be with uh, Quinn's friend uh, in her situation with the, uh, the pancreatic cancer. Lord, we just ask for your blessings on them. And Lord, pray that you would draw near to them. And Lord, they would feel your presence uh, upon them and around them. And Lord, if there's a, a way this class can help, Lord, I pray that you would uh, tend to the hearts and minds of your people and that you would call them forth uh, to do the work that you, that you have uh, for them. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for a chance to assemble in your name. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a good week. And if you're in the second service, go in ready. It's a good one. Hey, James. Yes, sir. Can you send me the podcast from the next